I'm Dan Bardell and welcome to 1874, the podcast that will bring you the definitive word on Aston Villa Football Club every single week. As usual, I'm pleased to be joined by Greg Evans, although I can't say I'm looking forward to this at all after Sunday. How are you, Greg? Good, thanks, Dan. But yeah, as you say, nightmare result and a nightmare weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, really, really wasn't good. Plenty to discuss, as always. This week we'll go through a humbling 6-1 reverse at Villa Park. Pepe Reina joining until the end of the season, the latest on what seems like a never-ending striker search, and as always, we'll have the Villa Vault. Yeah, so let's start. I mean, we've got to start with it. I don't really want to, but 6-1 at home against Man City. It really wasn't a pleasant day at Villa Park, was it, Greg? Yeah, really disappointing result, obviously, and a disappointing performance from um, from Villa. Not many players, in fact, probably none of the players came out with it, came out of the game with any credit, really. It was a, a really poor display. Um in the Q&A that I did in after the game on The Athletic, um, uh, the fans were calling it uh, toothless and gutless performance. And it, yeah. was hard to, it was hard to really disagree with that because the players would, they didn't see, towards the end, it just didn't seem like they were putting in the effort that was, uh, that was requ- required in a Premier League game. Yeah, I mean, I've got in the notes here, great first two minutes and then that's pretty much the end, end of the positives for Villa. I mean, we look like from kickoff we might start with some intent, but that just didn't materialise through the game. As the Villa fans have said there, it's just toothless and, and passive and you feel like all the Man City goals, they could have been avoided, some of them certainly. I mean, we, we just didn't look good at all. What, what did you make of, of, of the team selection? Because Dean Smith tweaked the system slightly, didn't he? Yeah, I, I didn't think there was an issue with the team selection. I was uh, I was quite looking forward to seeing how um, how that team lined up. Actually, I thought it would. Uh, <clears throat> I thought they I thought they could potentially cause Man City some problems, and I think they, I think Dean's plan was to just try and pack the midfield a little bit, wasn't it? But yeah. looking looking back in hindsight, maybe they needed maybe Villa needed to have more of an attacking threat to. Just to just to cause some problems for Man City because it was just so easy. They were camped in Villa were camped in their own half for long periods uh, of the game. As you say, yeah, it started quite well. I thought we'll go into. I suppose we'll go into Danny Drinkwater later. Yeah, but, he's um, in the notes. <laughs> you know, he, he he looked great, didn't he, in the first couple of minutes and and got on the ball, looked, looked brave um, and confident. But then it just deteriorated, and um, you know, he wasn't the only player really to to have a disappointing day. But uh, but yeah, just just a, a struggle all round. Yeah, because the, the change of system, you'd think putting three central midfielders up against Man City's three is a sensible thing to do, because <coughs> two, I think we might have been in a little bit of trouble, but Drinkwater's been, been put in the side on a, on a bit of a hiding to nothing, in my opinion, because the guy hasn't really played football for two years, and it's it's a massive ass to put, put him in against Man City. I mean, I don't know whether you noticed this, but by the end of the game, or just before he came off, Drinkwater's shirt was a different colour to everyone else's just because just because he sweated so much. I mean, in the end, it, it was like Dean Smith just decided I'm gonna I'm gonna let him just just sweat this out and and go for as long as he possibly can and try and get his fitness up. But it's it's a big ask, isn't it? Yeah, I feel feel sorry for him a little bit as well because he's played against Man City three times this season, t- twice for Burnley and, and one obviously for for Villa. So. Um, it was a difficult day for him. You could see. Um, obviously, he's coming up against Kevin De Bruyne, um, uh, who was at times sensational again. Um, but it, it was a struggle for him. I think the ninety minutes will do him good. Hopefully, he doesn't lose his confidence or let that let, let that performance affect him because. Uh, you know he'll know that he, he he wasn't at his best. He'll know that he will need to improve in the next game. But let's just hope the minutes do him good. Do you think it's a bit of a strange one that you're playing Man City, a, a team where you're not going to see as much of the ball as, as you would in a normal game? And out of all the midfielders, although we've been a bit critical of him in recent weeks, Nakamba's the ball winner. 
So you'd think that would be a game to play your ball winner, wouldn't you? Possibly, yeah. I just think because he struggled against Leicester and and, and and in the game previously, I think that Dean Smith probably thought that it was one game too many for him. Um, I feel that I, uh, we've we've said on previous podcasts. I feel that either Nakamba or Douglas Louise could have could have been dropped or rested um, at the weekend. I thought Conor Hurrahan come in didn't really do much either. No. So um, it was a it was a it was a struggle for him as well as the the other midfielders. But it's just a tough day all round. I mean, you know, Villa, Villa can't be judged too much on on that performance. Although it was six one, you know, it was it was hammering and and it was a you know. a, a a depressing sort of evening at, at Villa Park, but as Dean Smith rightly said, that result will not def- define the season, and you know th- the games ahead are the most important ones. I mean, we were, we were absolutely chasing shadows throughout, but let, let's go goal by goal because I think the first one probably epitomises the the whole day. Really, I mean, Neil Taylor lets himself get dragged out of position and finds himself too high up the pitch, which is exactly what Man City want. Mares just breaks <clears> through into the penalty area. No, as Dean Smith you said. No one lays a glove on him at, at all. It's, it's just all too easy. I think drink water and horse. It's just it's just too passive. And then I actually think Nealon should save it. He's near post as well. Yeah, really poor first goal. Um, Morris is a brilliant player, obviously, but he's just been given too much time and freedom. Danny Drinkwater's obviously come across to try and to try and back up um, his left back. Uh, but it looked horrible, didn't it? It was just so easy for Mares, um, and then Hawes just backed off and allowed him allowed him in. So yeah, really really disappointing goal. Obviously, Nealand after the the brilliant performance um, at Leicester probably was at fault for a couple of the goals as well. So he, you know, he, even he couldn't didn't come out of it with any credit. No, it was almost like the Villa defence didn't realise that uh, Mares was left footed. It, it was really strange. It was just just let him have it on his left foot and let let him do what what he wants with it. I mean, Mara scored the second as well, and, and we all know it's a massive mistake from Drinkwater. But again, I come back to that word of of being passive. Elmo's just just trying to let the ball roll out of play, and Aguero doesn't give give up on it. And it felt like all day Villa would give up on balls, Man City wouldn't, and and it would end in a goal. I mean, Drinkwater's probably never made a mistake that like that in his life, and he probably never will again. But Again, it comes down to that match practice, that repetition. He's not used to being there and he makes a mistake and it's a kind bounce to Mahrez, but again, he tucks it away and it's just all the Villa defenders are looking at each other bemused. And I think, I mean, the Holtons are looking at the Villa defence bemused as well. It's just another disastrous goal. Yeah, really bad goal. Um, looking back on the goals, when, after when I look back on them on Sunday, I actually think Elmo was Al Mohamedi was more to blame for that goal. He shouldn't he shouldn't have let let the ball get into that position. Nah. I think he was just trying to shield it out, wasn't he? And he was just, but it was just too. It's just passive, as you say, and um, and then look, drink water shouldn't get caught in possession in his own box, but um, it shouldn't have got to that stage. So they're both to blame, really. Yeah. I mean, it's, I brought myself to watch the game again last night and uh, to be honest after five minutes I, I wish I hadn't because it, it was just a horror <laughs> show so you think at that point you're 2-0 down let's get to half time with, with it too stay in touch with them and let's see if we can make a game of it in the second half but we don't again Aguero comes forward allowed to do exactly what he wants absolutely it's a great hit don't, don't get me wrong I mean there's some swaz on that there really is but Nealon's got two big hands on it and I again I actually think he should save that yeah, when 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 the goal went in initially, I thought that it was so powerful that Nealon just couldn't save it, just purely because of the power. But looking back and watching the replays, yeah, he's going to be really disappointed with that. Um, 
it's gone. It's just gone through his hands, hasn't it? So, yeah. uh, you know, a goal, a goal is going to be very, very disappointed at that. And and Nealon will be looking back. And um, you know, obviously with Pepe Reina coming in now, he, his place is under serious threat. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a bit like the Nealon of last season. <coughs> to be honest, I felt a little bit sorry for him because the protection just wasn't there. We talked about going th- three at the back, and it's made us a little bit more resilient and giving us a, a good platform. But there was there was bodies back, but they weren't doing anything. It was just the complete opposite from what we saw at Leicester, where bodies were on the line, that the players seemed like they were willing to die rather than let the ball go in the back of the net. And on Sunday, it was it was just let them through. Here you are, do what you like, and just to top it off, the, the fourth goal right on half time. I mean, I think the whistle went pretty much straight straight after goal four. It's, it's a great ball from Kevin De Bruyne. This is the only goal I think where I haven't managed to pick a massive fault with it because it <laughs> it just is a, a stupendous ball from Kevin De Bruyne and. In my opinion, that's why he's the best player in the league because he just does stuff like that on a consistent basis. Yeah, brilliant ball, brilliant assist. He does that so often, doesn't he? He just makes it look so easy. Um, Al Mohamedy probably should have been better positioned to, to not allow the ball to get there or at least um, at least give Jesus more um, more of a problem. to you know. But he tucked it away nicely, didn't he? And, uh, um, and then obviously De Bruyne has sort of just just raced away from Drinkwater. Um, I mean, Drinkwater seems to be involved everywhere here, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's, he, he, hopefully it's just a one, a one-off performance for him. He, he'll know it's a really disappointing day for him, but he's got to build on. He's got to he's got to use just use it as motivation and and hopefully get better. What surprised me was when we went one down, there just seemed to be. No, no reaction to that and it was almost like that wasn't in the plan and going 1-0 down wasn't something that we ever thought could happen because we just didn't have, a, didn't have a plan B I don't like using the term plan B but it, it was as if we didn't have a, have a plan B of what, what happens if we go one down in the first half because we wanted to keep it tight and obviously play on the break I mean did we break at any point because I can't, I can't really remember one but at 1-0 I, I, th- I thought that and then when it was getting to 2-3-4 I just felt like we gave up and at half time I mean, God knows what Dean Smith will have, will have said to the players. Cause what can you say in that situation? It's game over, isn't it? 4 0 at half time. It, it, it gets to the stage where it is just damage limitation. I mean, goal difference could potentially be so important this season. If Villa continue losing heavily like they do, then you know it might be it might be worth to, to having a good having a positive you know decent goal difference might be worth a point come the end of the yeah, season yeah. because so many so many teams are picking up so many points this year I, you know we've we've said this previously haven't we that you might need a really high points tally to stay up this season so um yeah i mean if at half time he, he he probably would have just been saying he, he would have questioned the players i think because it, it was it was too easy for man city and it, doesn't matter how brilliant Man City are, you can't make it that easy for them. Um, so he would have wanted some sort of reaction. To be honest, I don't think Villa were much better in the second half. The fact that they no. only conceded two was probably the only the only difference. But um, performance-wise, I still don't think they were any better. So he didn't really get the reaction he was hoping for. I mean, I'm I'm not stupid and, and naive. I know you can't play against Man City and you you can't press in every area, but there, there was no pressing anywhere. And that's what I just can't understand because that's what you associate with Dean Smith's side. Fast football going forward and you press and make life difficult for teams. And there was just none of that at all. And then you think, let's keep the score down. And then right after half time, again, Elmo, no pressure whatsoever. Just just lets a lazy leg thrown in and, and Aguero curls it in the corner and, it, and it's five. And at this point, I think most of the ground cleared out. And I've, I've never one who's left a game early. I've never done it in my life and I probably never will because it's something my dad's drummed into me as a kid but 
you can't blame people for leaving, can you? You can't really, because the game's over. Um, you know, the, the weekend's almost over. It was obviously that Villa, Villa were the last game in the weekend. Um, everybody was looking forward to it. They would have seen all the other results go by. Um, and, you know, and, and we were, you know, it was a game we were building up to all, all weekends. For it to just be over so quickly um, was obviously disappointing. And look, you know, I'm not one to leave games early when I sit in the stands, but I can totally understand people that did on, on that occasion. I mean, Nealand went on to make a couple of decent saves. I think Man City missed a couple as well that they possibly should have should have done better with. I remember Jesus putting one into the north stand that, that I thought he should score. But the the whole game really was epitomised by, by the sixth goal. I mean, Mings has given the ball to Courtney Hawes, and to be honest, I found Mings's run quite strange that he made. It was a weird run for a, a centre back in the back three, in the middle of a back three to make. Hawes just again lazily lazily tries to tries to give the, give the ball back to Mings. And Man City just steal a march on us and, and end up with end up with a goal with Aguero again. Yeah, uh, yeah, another disappointing goal. I mean, Hawes and Mings are, were brilliant, weren't they at Leicester? So disappointing get. for the two of them there. But by that stage, I'd, I'd just given up. I was just thinking, how many is this going to be? Um, and, and you know, you could see that the players were thinking um, they just wanted to be off the pitch, didn't they? Towards the end, no, nobody wants to be a part of that team when you're losing so heavily. No, but I get that, and that's fine. But you. In that situation, you just want to see a, a little bit of pride, like someone put a tackle in, just just give us something. I mean, I don't think any of the midfielders put put in a tackle all day, and I, I believe that's statistically correct as well. I think there was four tackles in midfield, attempted all, all day and zero completed. So that, that's not a good sign. I mean, that's the kind of game and performance that can, can completely kill a season. I think, because remember, that it, it had parallels with that 6-0 defeat to Liverpool. I, I thought in the season we went down, it was, it was very, very similar. I mean... We think that the players are worlds away from that that squad that we absolutely hated that season, and to be fair, they are. But that performance was 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 down there as one of the worst I've ever seen, and that, that's not a great thing to see with with this Villa, this this new Villa that, that we thought we had, a Villa we could get behind again. To just give up is unacceptable. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to to say whether whether that result is going to be damaging for the rest of the season. I suppose we'll only really know in the games ahead and, yeah. and how the performances and the results turn out in, in, against Bournemouth and, and Brighton and Watford um, you know, in, the, in the next three games. Um, Man, City, Man City are brilliant and they can yeah, do they, that they to teams, but at the same time, Villa should not be losing like that. You know, for, all, for, all, for all of Man City's brilliance, they have still... Um, drop points in in four of their eleven away games. I mean, this Norwich season. have beaten them. So, exactly, you know, Norwich have beaten them. Wolves have beaten them. Not, uh, Newcastle got a two-two draw against them. So, you know, they're, they're not they're not um, untouchable. And Villa made them look like you know, absolutely, well, it's just hard to describe it, isn't it? And you just hope that you just hope that they learn from that and and improve next week. I mean, Man City can take anyone apart. I, I completely acknowledge that, but. It's, it's the way of losing. That that's what upsets me. If Man City scores six great goals, you, you hold your hands up and you say they're better than us. They're on a different planet to us. But it did just feel like we were just gift, gifting them goals. They they play some lovely football, and it's something for for us to aspire to. I mean, I think Dean Smith said as much at, at the end of the game. But the teams like Man City and the, and Liverpool, they've got they've got the attitude there. They've got the talent, they've got the skill, but the first thing they do is they all work hard and they all know exactly what they're supposed to be executing on the day. And I didn't feel like Villa knew what they were supposed to be executing on the day. And I didn't feel like people put a shift in. And, and I don't like saying that and I don't say it lightly. Yeah, I mean, but you, you're totally right, Dan. You know, that there were players out there that weren't working as hard as they should have been, especially towards 
the end of the second half. You know, it was almost like every every minute is equally as important. The first and the ninetieth, you know, you need to be fighting all the way through, regardless of the score. Um, and clearly, some of the players we just just didn't want to be out there in the end. I mean, that that, that tackling statistic is just incredible. To not completely yeah. tackle all all game just just shows how bad it is. Um, you know, shows how bad of a performance it was. So, um, yeah. It's hard to put it into words, isn't it? I mean, I'm not, you know, that's the worst thing for a journalist to say, but yeah. it, sometimes, it, sometimes it, it felt like that. I mean, the thing I find hard is, as, as I've kind of alluded to before, is I actually like I like these players. I've got a lot of time for them. I really, really like them a lot, but I just didn't like anything that I saw on Sunday. And someone else who didn't like what they saw was Jack Grealish. It was it was written all over his face that he was absolutely mortified by, by what was going on, and he it was almost a. I mean, what what can I do? You know, Jack Grealish is, is a Villa fan. He'll be as upset <coughs> as I am right now. But he was just looking for something around him to to happen, and we did. We couldn't even get the ball to him, could we? No, it was, his, it was probably his quietest game of the season. He he didn't really do anything of note, and um, that's not entirely his own fault because, as you say, they they didn't get the ball to him. They the midfielders couldn't couldn't find simple passes. Um, and there was, when he did get the ball, there was no support around him, so he couldn't really do anything. There was a couple of times where, where both both Grealish and Al Ghazi had individual runs from the halfway line, and there was just five Man City men instantly around them. It was just, it was just horrible to watch. They just couldn't get out of their own half. Um, Grealish was clearly frustrated. His post-match interview, you could tell that as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, interesting about the penalty though, uh, I, I thought that. I mean, yeah, I, I, I mean, I haven't even put it in my notes because it's, it's almost irrelevant, isn't it? I mean, we, we scored our first penalty of the season. Now, Garzi, were you surprised to see him step up then rather than Grealish? <clears throat> yeah, I was actually. And obviously, Wesley's the the designated penalty taker, but um, Jack uh, Jack was always going to be the, the the next man the next man down. Maybe because he missed at Sheffield United, yeah. he, he, you know, they must have had a discussion with. Um, in training, whether uh, I'm led to believe that the centre forward Jack Jack usually likes the centre forward to have the penalties first. So with with Al Ghazi playing that role, maybe he just allowed him to have it. I've actually had, I didn't get to speak to any of the players about that after. So that'll be something that I'll uh, I'll be um, trying to find out in the days ahead. Just lastly, on on the Man City game to to finish off what's been a horrid review. Do you think this is the kind of game that will make Jack Grealish consider his long term future at Villa? I certainly think if performances continue like that and results continue, yeah, um, Jack Grealish can play in any he can play in any team in that in that division. I'm convinced of that. So if if he's if he's in the team that's that's losing heavily like that to teams that he should he's good enough to play in, I'm I'm, I'm sure it will it will make him think about his future. Yeah, he's not going to be going anywhere this month. We all know that, but yeah. he might have a decision to make in the summer. This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and also your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names, up and coming designers and exclusive brands you won't find anywhere else. Try on everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, you try before you buy at home. Delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Stitch Fix allows you to do the following. You save time because we do the shopping for you. You can discover new styles. 
your stylist could find great items that you may have never picked out when shopping for yourself. And finally, enjoy tip-top styling tips. Our experts will give you ideas on how to wear the items they pick out for you. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast. All you've got to do is go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot co.uk forward slash athletic. One piece of, of, of good news is that Villa have, have made a signing, although it's not in the position that, that's the most pressing, in my opinion, and probably many other Villa fans' opinion. But we've signed a replacement for Tom Hee and someone of a similar age, a similar ilk. Pepe Reina has joined. What do you think? It's a deal that they've been working on now for a week or so. Um, somebody, it was it was an initial surprise to me actually when they decided to go for him. Yeah. Um, I know he hasn't been playing much at AC Milan, but I just thought that I thought probably thought that his days in the Premier League were, were, were over. To be honest, I obviously remember him at Liverpool. He was brilliant, um, an experienced player. Well, um, you know, knows the league well, yeah. and, and 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 will be a vocal presence in the in the dressing room and help replace Heaton because. If you remember, Villa signed a lot of young players over the summer and Tom Heaton was one of the ones that was supposed to carry the team as the experienced head. Um, that's what Dean Smith and uh, Suso and Christian Perslow will be hoping Pepe Reina can do now. Yeah, because we, I mean, we've just spoke about Danny Drinkwater having not had a lot of football in, in the last two years. It's a, it's a similar situation for Reina. I mean, I know it's different in, in goal, but... He hasn't even started 10 games in the last couple of seasons. Is that something that worries you? A little bit, yeah, because you know, he could still be a bit rusty, couldn't he? Villa are at a stage in the season now where they they can't afford to just give a player a couple of games to bed in and, and get used to it and allow him to make an error. In, in you know, Because anything, um, any type of error could be costly now. Um, I think Pepe Ren is old enough and experienced enough to to be able to fit in quite seamlessly. To be honest, yeah, um, I don't I don't see being any issues, but at the same time, you're right. He has only started ten games, so he, ideally he would have liked a couple of warm up games before coming straight back in. But whether he comes in straight away, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Do you, do you think he'll come back in? It was, it was like a bit like in the post match, Dean Smith distanced himself from from the signing a little bit. He was almost implying that he. It wasn't his signing, and that it was Suso's signing. Do you think that's fair? I think I think he he the way he answered that question can be can be taken in two ways. Now, f- for a few weeks now, Dean Smith said a lot of players, a um, lot of individual names that are, that that w- that weren't at the club, you know, t- targets or rumored targets thrown his way. Um, Olivier Giroud, Michi Bashwaye. Um, you know, there's, there's loads anyway. So yeah. when 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 Pepe Reina's name was mentioned to him, even though he was in the stands at Villa Park, and clearly Dean Smith would have known that, um, he answered the question in the same way as he has done when every other player has been put in put in you know asked put put to him. So I think he just I think he's just keen to distance himself until de- uh, deals are done. But okay. at the same time, potentially it might be a signing that. He wasn't sort of pushing to start with. He might just be going along with that signing and happy to have him on board. But that's something I'll I'll be asking him at the next press conference. Yeah, because I mean, the last time I feel like this happened was this time last year with with Lovray Kalinic, and look how that worked out. I mean, what's he now? Fifth, sixth choice goalkeeper. I mean, he it never felt to me like he was a, he was a Smith signing, and I guess this is the risks that you have 
with, with these modern set, setups. What do you think this means for Neil? And now do you think simply he'll be the, be the cupkeeper for the Leicester game and maybe beyond if we get to the final? I mean, do we even want to get to the final after Sunday? But that, that's a different story. But what does it mean for the other Aston Villa goalkeepers, Pepe Reina coming in? Well, I think it just obviously strengthens the department and keeps them all on their toes a little bit more. Um, Nylon will know now if he does play again, then he, and he can't make any more mistakes because he'll be immediately out. So yeah, I mean, he might he might be just dropped down to the to the uh, cupkeeper now, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because he was brilliant against Leicester. So if he can perform like that again in the second leg, then Villa will have a chance to get to the final. And if he does stay playing that final, which will probably be about against Manchester City, he's going to have to be a hell of a lot better than he was on Sunday. Striker search, Greg. I need something from you because I'm I'm very, very concerned. It feels like he's getting a bit desperate now, to be honest. Yeah, it is getting desperate. The, you know, the halfway through the month now, two weeks of the window have been open, just another two to go. Um, Villa have missed out on a few players. Olivier Giroud, Mitchie Bashwai won't, uh, won't be coming from Chelsea. We know that now. Um, there are a couple of other players that uh, that are on the radar. I, I mentioned in a big transfer wrap-up piece that I did in the Athletic earlier in the week. Yeah. Um, you know, you can get, you can, you can read it all in full there. But Villa are still hoping that you know Islam Slimani, um from Monaco. They've asked about him, Christian Benteke. It could possibly be, a, could be a possibility come, come towards the end of the the window. Um, Led to believe that his representatives would be would be uh, open to to him moving um, and and are asking around and and have asked Villa, but so far no concrete response from Villa yet. See, for me, I think he's a no-brainer. He's the one I really want. He he knows the club. I know he hasn't had the best goal-scoring record for the past couple of seasons, but. I think Grealish linked up with him well last time he was at the club. I think he'd be completely revitalised. It's the refresh he needs. I think he'd give the fans a boost. I really, really think Christian Benteke would score goals for Aston Villa. I just think Crystal Palace do not play in a way that suits him at all. If you look at their wingers, it's usually Townsend and, and Zahar. They like to cut in. Zahar likes to get into the box. Townsend likes to drive shots from long range. They don't put the kind of crosses in that suit Benteke, and that, that's where he made a name for himself, scoring goals like that, early crosses into the box, big header. And that's what Villa do. We get a lot of crosses in the box, and I really think he'll thrive, Greg. Yeah, uh, my colleague Matt Woozy did, uh, did a piece, um, the Crystal Palace writer for the Athletic, he did a piece on Benteke earlier yeah, in the season. Yeah, it was really, really good. Yeah, and it was just saying how Palace don't play to his strengths, and that that you know that that is a valid point. Whether whether Villa will whether whether Villa would play to his strengths, you know they certainly did previously. Um, if he did come again, obviously we'll have to wait and see. But Jack Grealish knows him well. He would, I think, he would enjoy linking up with yeah, him again. But um, just don't know if it's going to happen that one, to be honest. No, because the one the one you you uh, spoke of last week was Jay Rodriguez. Is, is that a no go then? It seems that way. Villa are definitely keen on him. You know, they would have liked to. They would have liked to sign him, but it appears that he's, he's relatively happy at Burnley. Obviously, he'd like to be playing some more games. Um, has has only started five games this season for Burnley, so he'd like to be playing a little bit more. Um, but it's his hometown club. He's quite happy there, so I don't see anything happening with that one now. And in ter- terms of outgoings, I mean. Kodjo was again missing through through illness. I think Dean Smith said something about him having not been at the, at the training ground. Is, are we any closer to shifting him? No closer to moving on. I know, I know Nottingham Forest are keen. Um, I think I think Kodjo would like probably like a move back to France now. That's where he, he spends a lot of his uh, time off. Yeah. So uh, whether that can be arranged, we'll have to wait and see. Um, uh, 
he's just out of the picture now, isn't he? I can't. I'd be surprised if he plays for Villa again, to be honest. Now, because um, if he can't even get on the bench, then you know, how's, how's he going to get in the team? The big question, Greg: Will we get someone in before the game on Saturday? Oh, do you know? I'd really, I'd really like to hope so because um, I think they need it. But we'll just have to wait and see. There's certainly nothing imminent at the moment. Not what I wanted to hear, but I thank you for for your for your updates, Greg. <laughs> With the Villa Vault, and I mean, you will have seen probably on social media that Greg and I went to went to Marbella over the weekend to, to see Thomas Hitzelsberger and interview him about his time at Aston Villa and his role now as chief executive at Stuttgart. So I've gone gone with him because we obviously spoke to him, and I, I really think that's going to be a good good podcast because he revealed things that he's, I've never heard him reveal before about his time at Villa and actually learned some things that I didn't know, but. He never scored a goal from, from inside the box for Villa. All, all his goals were from outside the penalty area. And if you think with the parallels like last season with Tammy Abraham, who every single goal came from inside the box, I just thought that was an, an interesting little stat. And to be fair, I just wanted to plug our podcast with Hitzelsberger as well, Greg. But did you have a good time with him at the weekend? Yeah, it was brilliant, wasn't it? It was great to catch up with him. Uh, you know, very, very um, friendly and affable guy. Yeah. I didn't, obviously didn't know him too much because I wasn't covering Villa at the time when um, I was too young, wasn't I? I was just yeah. cool, I think, when he played for Villa. Um, but, uh, yeah, lovely guy. Uh, very, very clever man as well. He's done done, um, done exceptionally well to get to where he is as, as CEO of Stuttgart. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how he's how his footballing philosophies rub off on Stuttgart and see whether they can get promoted from the um, from the second tier back into the the Bundesliga next next year. So, yeah, it's going to be a really good podcast, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to to seeing how it's received because, as I say, you really went into some massive detail. I spent a lot of time with us, and I, I really think that'll be a great listen. A little a little side story. You just mentioned you were at school when he was when he was playing Thomas. So was I. Obviously, I I knew him when it when, when he was at Villa, and I remember the day he gave me a lift to school. Once and I was thinking, right, I'm the man here. I'm going to pull up to that school gate. There's always loads of buzz around the school gate. Everyone's there. Football has given me the lift. I'm going to look at the bees' knees. And I tell you, that day there was absolutely no one at that gate. <laughs> I was really, really excited. Thinking, always the one. I thinking that I was going to look like the, the best kid in school. Not a soul <laughs> at the gate, Greg. It was absolutely soul destroying. <laughs> So that's it. Probably the most depressing podcast we've done since since we started at the Athletic Greg, but it is good in some ways to, to go through that Man City game and talk through what's going on on the transfer front as well. Thanks ever so much for joining me, pal, and hopefully next week we'll have some happier stuff to talk about. Let's hope so, Dan. Don't forget, for ad-free podcasts, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic and listen through the app. You can get a 40% discount now by using the code VILLAPOD. Thanks very much for listening. Up the Villa. Up the Villa.